You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. So at the end of last week, we finished off the first chapter of Chala. And what we're going to try to do this afternoon is to just have a quick look at the second chapter of Chala. We're going to stop learning for the end of the yeshiva term on Yom Kippur, which is in a couple of days. So I don't think we can get through the whole of the second chapter. But I, I thought we could look at some crucial Mishnayot from the second chapter tonight and some crucial Mishnayot from the third chapter tomorrow. Now, in terms of the second chapter, we're going to see in a minute that the Rambam, that Maimonides, is going to go back to the Pesukim with, with which we began our study. Uh, I mean, it's very interesting, by the way. I mean, we, I hadn't looked at the whole of the Rambam's commentary at very much of it when I put the source sheet together. But it's very interesting that he keeps on going back. And he's quoting the Halachic Midrashim, of course. He keeps on going back to these early Pesukim. And particularly, he's going to remark on the fact that the um, this mitzvah of Chala, which is given to the people of Israel, after the episode of the spies, after they fail to go into the land, this mitzvah is conditional on entering the land. It's as if to say, look, you guys will get into the land at some point. And I'm now going to give you a mitzvah that you can uh, you can fulfill once you get there. So the text says, Shama. When you come into the land that I'm going to bring you into over there. And then it shall be, When you eat of the bread of the land. So there's something about being in the land. And there's something about eating of the bread of the land. And we've, of course, we've learned before the drush on, on eating. If it's not edible, it's not liable to challah, right? All of the halachot, actually, that we've been learning in the last couple of weeks, they all come back to these psukim. If you analyze these psukim very minutely, they all come back. So let's just keep that in mind. And then we're going to jump into the second chapter. So where are we? We're in um, we're in chapter two, Mishnah one. Perot chutz la'aretz she'nich la'aretz chayavim b'chala. Produce from outside the land that comes into the land is subject to chala. So the mitzvah applies when you come into the land, and it, it seems to apply too on produce that comes into the land. We don't need to grow it in the land. Maybe that's a little bit different from truma. But of course, um, when we learned about truma, we learned that the requirement for truma took place when the fruit got to a, an edible state and then when it was finished processing. So and, and in order to, for, for, to get to an edible state, it's got to be, well, I mean, that happens right where it's grown or you can imagine happens where it's grown. But with challah, the obligation to take challah takes effect when the dough, when the flat, when the dough is made, when the dough is mixed, when the flour is mixed with the water. That's when the obligation hits. We'll learn a little bit about more about that in the next chapter, actually. So you can see that if you bring flour into the land, but you mix it in the land, you're going to be liable for challah. 
What about the other way around? What if we ship our flour out from the land? So we take the fruit of the land, we ship it out. And there we have a dispute. Rabbi Eliezer says it's liable. Yatsumi kan l'sham, Rabbi Eliezer mechayev. Rabbi Eliezer says it's liable. The Rabbi Akiva poter. Rabbi Akiva says, no, 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 no. If you ship the flour outside the land, therefore you make your dough outside the land, it's exempt. This applies to us in diaspora, by the way. Taking color in diaspora is derabanan, it's not deraita. Because deraita, according to the strict interpretation of the law, the mitzvah of chala doesn't apply outside the land of Israel. And the Rambam says, well, the Rambam, I just brought you the, you know, I love the commentary of the Rambam, but it, it's interesting he just brings the psukim for you. So the Rambam says, Amar Hashem Yitbarach, God said the land which I bring you into over there. There you're obligated, but you're not obligated outside the land. That's his starting point. And then, and then, he, then now the Rambam is now going to interpret Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer says, when you eat of the bread of the land, that means the bread made from flour of the land, whether you eat it in the land or outside it. So Rabbi Eliezer holds that the produce, that produce which has left the land is still liable. And by the way, and of course the Rambam closes because he's very interested in the halacha always, the halacha goes according to Rabbi Akiva. So the obligation of challah in its pure state, deraita doesn't, doesn't hold outside the land. That's the entry point of the second chapter. And I'm going to skip along a bit because I, I did not want to resist covering Mishnah 6 in the second chapter, which gives the quantities. Well, actually, chapter, Mishnah 6 and 7 will give the quantities. And we've learned this halacha before. We learned it actually from Edu Yot, but it's important to repeat it. Once you have five-fourths, and this means four, basically means a, a, a fourth, a fourth is a fourth of a cub. So this is five-fourths of a cub. And we said a cub is about a quart. So this will be about a quart and a quarter. A, a quart and a quarter, that means five cups. Five-fourths of a cup of flour are subject to chala. And all the stuff that goes into them, the leaven, that we call that starter, really. We would call that starter now. You get a sense, by the way, as to how they made bread in the time of the Mishnah. They'd mix the starter in with their flour. Their suban, sanan, their coarse bran, their light bran. Everything combines to make up the five-fourths because it's all mixed all mixed up together. But, the Mishnah says, nital mursanan mitochan. Mursanan, the mursan is really coarse bran. And, Chala doesn't, the bran itself is not liable to Chala. So if you take out the bran and then put it back, the Chazar and if you take out the bran and put it back, they don't count in the five-fourths. So the five-fourths has to be basically flour. That's the bottom line for this Mishnah. And then the Mishnah is going to ask, well, okay, we know how much flour is liable to Chala, but how much challah do you have to take? Five quart, uh, sorry, a quart and a, a quart and a cup is probably about. Uh, it's just over a kilo, actually. So the Mishnah says shira two two pounds. Shira challah echad me'esrim ve'arba'ah. It's one in twenty fourth. 
So that would be um, about three ounces from two pounds of flour, something like that. One in 24. One ounce in a pound and a half of flour. And that's for private, private baking. Private baking at home. You know, you make it at home for yourself. You make it for a big party. Is the feast of his son. It's probably a wedding feast, right? This is a big, big party. You're still taking one in 24. But when you're making it professionally, if a baker makes to sell in the market, Shehi or Salim Korbashuk, or a woman who's making, interestingly, the Mishnah distinguishes between a baker making it for the market and a woman making it for the market. Well, that suggests that, you know, big bakeries were run by men and women did cottage industry. I don't know. Anyway, Echad, um, what, both ways, Echad me Arbaim Ushmona, it's 148th. The professional baker doesn't have to give as much color as the amateur baker. Maybe that's a question of scope and volume, that you want to give a reasonable amount of size of challah to her kohen. And from basically a bakery batch, I mean, a baker might be baking 48 loaves, right? And we touched on this before, I think. If you're making 48 loaves, you can take one loaf out and you can hand it over to Kohen. But for someone baking at home, a 48 is just not really significant. You can't give, it's it's not a meaningful quantity to give a Kohen. And then um, the Mishnah is going to go on to say, look, what if neat mate ha isata? What if dough is made unclean? Do you still have to give the same quantity? And it's very interesting that the quantity drops from the um, 24th to the 48th if it's unclean. I guess because there's no, the Kohen can't do anything with it. So whether it's whether it's Shogeg, maybe accidentally unclean, or Anusa, you're caught in some instant you can't avoid, it's 48th. And the Mishnah is going to conclude, and we've seen this in Trumot as well. The rabbis are very anxious about... Um, fraud or about deliberate abuse. They're really anxious about abuse of the regulations. So if the dough became unclean on purpose, right? So you on purpose, I don't know, found an object that which had touched a creepy crawly and touched it onto the wet dough. As soon as the dough is wet, right, it becomes unclean. If you purpose, purposefully make it unclean, you go back to 124. So that a sinner should not profit. Very powerful idea. And we again, we've seen that in, in, uh, in Trumont. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict.